Psalm chapter 11. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able. We'll read this chapter responsively. We'll read the odd-numbered verses together, and I'll read the even-numbered verses alone. Psalm chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, the Word of God says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For, lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, and they may privily shoot, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Let's pray. Lord, help us now as we turn to this chapter to give us strength when we're weak, to encourage us when we're discouraged, to give us perspective on what's going on around us when it seems like nothing's going right. I pray that you'd use the Spirit of God to give me the words to say and give us ears to hear and so we can apply these truths to our lives in a meaningful way in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a great psalm. I was counseling with a man over the phone. He doesn't attend our church. But I was helping him with the situation and giving him some counsel over the phone. And he said, tell me where to read in the Bible. He was going through a very specific and terrible circumstance. And I said, you need to start in the book of Psalms. And I said, just read the book of Psalms. I told him that Psalms is a study about the nature of God and human nature. When you read the Psalms, you learn an awful lot about who God is. You also learn an awful lot about who you are. It teaches us the depth and breadth and height all the capacity that a human has to feel and to experience. Psalms takes us to the wonderful heights, the mountaintops of joy and the heavenlies. And it also takes us down to the depths and darkness, even the valley of the shadow of death and death itself. Talks about everything from how to succeed, how to be blessed in this life and the next. And it shows us how destructive sin can be. If you want to learn about humanity, if you want to learn about God, the book of Psalms is a place, a good place to start. 
that gives us a window into our own hearts. Sometimes we're feeling something deeply or passionately, but we don't know how to describe it. We don't know how to put it into perspective. The book of Psalms gives you a way to communicate about what you're feeling and about what others are feeling. And sometimes you'll be reading it and it's like, yes, that's what I'm feeling. And God gives you that language and puts words to these deep needs of the heart. Psalm chapter 11 is a psalm about trust. What's the opposite of faith? Fear. Fear. I would say a deeper opposite of that is love. The Bible says where there is no or perfect love casteth out fear. The direct opposite of faith is fear, but the ultimate trump card over all fear is love. And I'll explain that to you at the end. But the direct correlation, the direct opposite of faith is fear. If you don't have trust, you have mistrust or distrust. If you don't have faith, you're having fear. And Psalm chapter 11 deals with our fears and gives us a path to find faith and six ways to exercise faith in God no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're feeling. We live in dark days. I say often that these are days of apathy and apostasy. The average person who's not religious couldn't care less. And a lot of people that have been in church and such, they're falling away. Even preachers who've always preached the truth, they're not preaching the truth as they once did. Even people that used to claim faith in Christ now say, no, I don't believe in Jesus. Uh, I, I believe this or this. We live in days of apathy and apostasy. I believe we're living in the last days. And not just the last days, but the last of the last days. The only hope for America, the only hope for our world is for God to send a revival. Now that's still possible. God absolutely could send a revival. He could push, push pause on everything and send a revival. Boy, I wish we had time to go through human history. And you can see times where I believe in human history, Satan was working the world together in an ultimate fight against God, and God said, not yet, and brought revival. And another time it began to happen, and the forces would converge, and God said, not yet, and he brought another revival. I'm talking about world revival. You read about the great awakenings in America and the times that those happened. One of the last great movements of God was in the 1960s, 1970s, and that's right after the 1960s when it, there was this huge rebellion against established thinking and against rules and, and all of this thing. And right on the end of that came a massive movement of God in America where millions of, of people were saved. Churches were being built uh, like crazy. And so you see all this happen. You can think about the world wars and how everything started to converge. And it's like God said, nope, just go back to World War II. There's no human reason why we won World War II. 
That war should have been lost. But it wasn't. Why? I believe God said, not yet. Not yet. But there's going to come a day when God says, all right, let's wrap this thing up. And we find that out in the book of Revelation. As God is allowing things to wind down, the world gets to be a very dark place, doesn't it? If you've read the book of Revelation. Now, thankfully... I believe we're going to be raptured out before the great tribulation itself begins. But don't let that fool you that, well, we're going to get out of here before things get hard. Folks, it's always been hard for Christians. Christians have been dying for their faith for 2,000 years. America really has been a bubble in time where we had a type of, of religious freedom that did not exist in much of human history. The sad thing is most people don't have that context of history because they're not learning that. But the idea that for, for 200 plus years, the type of religious freedom we had in America is unheard of. Things could get worse. Or God could bring revival. And that uncertainty causes fear. One of the great things that cause fear is uncertainty. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's, what's going to happen to my family? Am I going to be able to pay the bills? Am I going to be able to pay the mortgage this month? Am I going to lose my job because uh, the economy's tight? Uh, Brother Ethan and I were talking before church just about some of the big businesses that have closed in southern Rhode Island over the last 20 years. And uh, causes a lot of uncertainty. Am I going to keep my job? The dollar's getting worth less and less. I hear people say, oh, how, what, what kind of world are my kids going to grow up in? I hear a lot of grandparents say, because they saw the world 50 years ago, they're like, what kind of world are my, my younger grandkids going to live in? I hear young adults, 18, 19, 20 to, to 25, 30 years old, say, I don't even know if I want to have kids to bring them into this crazy world. There's a lot of uncertainty. And we act that out in all different ways. A lot of times we just try to pretend like it's not there. But that's not a way to deal with fear. And a lot of times we, we try to, to handle it in worldly means, and that might put a patch on it for a while. Sometimes we try to amuse ourselves out of it. Well, if I can just be entertained enough, I don't have to think about it. It's become a sad fact that if you can entertain people enough, give them just enough pleasure to get by, Oftentimes, they don't have the strength to pay attention to how the world's crumbling around them. Bread and circus. In Russia, you could buy vodka for less than milk because the government years ago would subsidize the liquor. And that's why there was such a high percentage of Russian men that were alcoholics. Today, you know, whether it's the, the streaming entertainment, the phones that pull you every second of every day, 
with software that is engineered to overcome every, every attempt at self-discipline. We live in a world where there's plenty of things to keep your mind on things, but folks, that doesn't make it go away. Alcohol makes the, dulls the pain for a moment, but makes it worse when you're sober. Drugs just make compounding worse. So what do we do about these real things? And there are real challenges. And I can see I'm already depressing some of you. You're like, yeah, you're right. I don't know what to do. (laughs) I'm going to get you so depressed and then lift you back up to the heavenlies. uh, But these are real challenges. I look at chapter 1, verse 12. We see a psalmist crying out to the Lord. Excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. Help, Lord. Why is he crying out for help? Look what he says. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. There's less and less godly people. It's easier and easier just to go along with the world, go along with the sin, go along with the tide. Look what it says, verse 2, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, so much pride, so much arrogance. So much emptiness. With flattering lips they speak, and with a double heart do they speak. Flattery is something you got to be very careful of. It's people saying nice things to you, but they don't mean it. And they're saying nice things to you for a purpose to manipulate you. Verse 3, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. So God's eventually going to do that. Look at verse 5, for the oppression of the poor and the sighing of the needy, You'll notice when wickedness rises, so do the needs of mankind. There's more poor people. It takes money to sin, and sin causes poverty. The Bible's very clear about that. Uh, Foolish practices of unwise leaders create poverty. Look at verse 8. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. What does that mean? You get what you emphasize. And right now, wickedness is not just accepted. It's promoted and preferable. So what do you get? You get more wickedness. Elevating vile people to fame. Elevating vile people to positions of prominence and power. And then we see in Psalm chapter 13, sometimes it feels like God's forgotten us. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So here you see the the psalmist in this case just feels like God's forgotten him. Have you ever felt that way? God, do you even know who I am? Do you even know my situation? God, do you see what's happening to our nation? Do you see what's happening to our world? There's a concept we don't have time to get into tonight called the hiddenness of God. Sometimes God will hide himself for certain purposes, but faith tells us that God is not only aware, but he's in full, absolute control. And if he does withdraw himself and become quiet, it's for a greater purpose. Sometimes it's just to test us. I was going through a difficult time, and it just seemed like God had gotten quiet in my life. 
and I was reading my Bible, I was praying, and I had a mentor that gave me a quote, and I've never forgotten it. And he said, Paul, the teacher's always quiet when the student's taking a test. Isn't that interesting? You don't get the answers during the test. You get the answers before the test, you get the answers after the test, but if God calls a pop quiz, you've got to just take the test. Don't lose faith in the teacher, right? Look at verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Atheism on the rise in America. That's still nowhere near what, what they want you to believe it is. Still over 80% of Americans say they believe in God. They want you to feel like that you're the last crazy Christian on the face of the planet. And your, your little church, your little cultist church is the last vestige of anybody that believes like that. No, over 80% of Americans believe in God. But they have pretty much taken over higher learning. I was listening to a, a uh, talk that a prominent astrophysicist gave to other high-level scientists. And he was talking about why can't we, why do so many people believe in God? And he said, it's, it's, he's talking like this is crazy. People believe in God. Why can't we get them to believe in God? And he says, well, if you have this degree, this many people believe in God. If you have this degree, this, this many. And basically, the longer you are educated, the less faith you have in God. They would say that because, they would say that it's because you get smart enough, you don't believe in God anymore because you know the truth. I would say that you've just been indoctrinated long enough to where you no longer can see the truth right in front of you. But what really galled him is of the finest, the top, the top scientists in all disciplines, they're part of the academy, 7% of top scientists still believe in God. And that galled him. How is it that 7% of the best scientists in the world still believe in God? He said, that's the group we need to convince. That's only 7%. But he couldn't imagine anybody being foolish enough to believing in God. You know what that man is according to the scripture? He's a fool. He's a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I meet people all the time. They will casually say there is no God, and they'll quote some book they read or some teacher they had, but they've never really thought deeply about this thing. And that kind of thinking is on the rise. We live in days of apathy and apostasy. Verse 2, they are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. When you separate humanity from God, you no longer have any foundation of morality at all. If your children lie, and you say, don't lie, and they say, why shouldn't I lie? You say, because God said, thou shalt not lie. But if you don't have the Bible, don't lie. Well, just don't do it. Why? It's not good. It says who? 
the foundation of morality is gone. The law of the jungle is the strong eat the weak. There's no morality outside of it. And they're trying to make this debate that you can have morality outside of God. And it's, it's, it's just straw man arguments and, and false structures. The very idea of right and wrong itself is based upon an ultimate right and an ultimate wrong. And you see even right around Psalm chapter 11, it's the psalmist dealing with all of these different problems that come up in humanity that we are dealing with now in this age. And so what do we do? We can either have fear. We can be afraid at the uncertainty of the future. We can have fear when we say, oh, no, North Korea, and look at what Russia's doing, and look at what, what Iran's doing, and look at what China's doing, and, and all of these things, and, and what's going on over in the Middle East. And there are all kinds of terrible things going on in the world outside of your control. And that can cause insecurity. We look around and we see the people who should be godly are giving in. They're dropping the sails. The churches that should have stood strong and said, no, that's wrong. And, and, and that's a sin are now not just saying it's no longer a sin, but they're promoting every kind of wickedness in the world. And, and even decent churches are pulling back on preaching the hard truths of God because they don't want to offend anybody. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. And sometimes we pray about these things and it's like, where is God? Why isn't God moving in my life? Why isn't God fixing this situation? And all the while, everywhere you look, <clears throat> atheism on the rise. When's the last time you watched a TV show that had a basis of faith in God. It doesn't happen. They're all, most of these shows are built in a world where there's not even a hint of any concept about God. The families are dysfunctional. Immorality is evident as is, this is just how everybody lives. And the, the sins and the problems, it's easy to look around and and we want to run, we want to flee, but look back at Psalm chapter 11, verse 1. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? See, sometimes we just want to run. Sometimes we just want to run in our house and lock the door and, and pull the shades, close the blinds. Sometimes we want to stay in bed and pull the covers over. Uh, sometimes people just want to move out to Montana or out west somewhere and, and uh, just, just go off the grid, moved up to Alaska and Hopefully get some Discovery TV show camera to follow you around, you know, and, and uh, how you're, you're hunting and all. It's amazing how many Alaska TV shows there are, people off the grid who have cameras following them around. <laughs> and uh, all, of, all of this craziness, it's been lately that all these rich people are, are literally building bunkers and, and all of these things preparing for difficult times. And there is a tendency that we just want to run, but folks, we can't run. But when you have faith, you don't need to run. Amen. That's why the psalmist says, In the Lord put, all, uh, put I my trust. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. That's ridiculous. You're telling me to run? I'm not running. I'm trusting the Lord. Amen. Can I tell you a secret? 
It's kind of a hard truth, but as soon as you understand it, it takes a lot of pressure off. You're going to die when God wants you to die. And there's not a thing you can do about it. And it doesn't matter if you're some, in some bunker 27 feet under the ground in Montana or if you're sitting at home and you're lazy boy. When it comes time for you to go, you're going to go. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's by some disease or you get run over by a car, God forbid, crossing the street. When it's time to go, you're going to go. It takes a lot of pressure off. They're already preparing you for disease X, whatever's coming down the pike. There's something else coming. There's just a story out this week. Whether it's true or not, who knows? But boy, it scared a lot of people. They have a new strain of COVID that attacks the brains in humanized mice. 100% mortality rate. People hear that and go, woo! If that's how God wants me to go, I can think of worse ways to go, I guess. There is an industry built to make you afraid. And there is a devil who uses fear as a lever to manipulate and control. And you've got to take that stick out of his hand. If you have a tendency to fear and you give the devil that stick, he's going to beat you to death with it. You've got to take that stick away. Now, all of us get afraid, so what do we do? And this is the rest of the sermon. We could spend a long time on this, but I'm just going to show it to you. Uh, we've showed it to you before, but I just want to show you this in the scriptures. You can make some notes. When you get fearful, and there's a lot of things in this world to be afraid of. The problem is we fear the things that we shouldn't, and we don't fear the things we should. Whenever we get afraid... We need to know how to turn that fear into faith. How do we do that? We run to the Lord and put our trust in the Lord. How do we do that? We remind ourselves who God is and that God's in control. And we realize that we are safe in the hands of our Heavenly Father. And that's all you need to know. You don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, it's amazing. My kids get in the car with me. They have no idea where they're going. They just get in the car and allow me to take them everywhere. One of these days, I'm just going to take them and drop them off at the zoo. And just, like, leave them there. It's like, you know. They trust Dad. And when you get to the place where you just trust God, it doesn't matter where you're going. You look out the window, ooh, that looks scary. That's all right, we'll be okay. You're with Dad. You're okay. Everything's okay. And so whenever you get to the place that you're starting to experience fear, especially irrational fear, then you can take that fear to God and say, I choose to place my trust in God today for six reasons. And these six reasons are found all right here in verses 4 through seven. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, put your trust in the Lord's position. Look at verse four. 
The Lord is in his holy temple. What's that mean? God's not touched by what's going on down here. God's not worried about the economy. He's not worried about climate change. He's not worried about geopolitical problems. He's in his holy temple. And the one who's controlling everything sits high above and away in a place of absolute authority. So number one, we trust the Lord's position. He's in his holy temple in heaven. Number two, we trust the Lord's authority. Look at verse four again. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's what? Throne, throne is in heaven. A throne is a place of authority. We trust the Lord's authority. Not only is he far and away untouched by everything going on here, he is in absolute control. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has no rival. He knows no equal. He is in absolute control. But it doesn't look like he's in control. He's in absolute control. And sometimes what to us looks like things are falling apart, it's actually things falling in place. Just like God said they were going to do. In the last days... Perilous times shall come. So don't be surprised when perilous times come. The righteous shall suffer persecution. So don't be surprised when you're persecuted. The Lord is in absolute control. Number one, we trust the Lord's position. Number two, we trust the Lord's authority. Number three, we trust the Lord's vision. Look at the last phrase of verse four. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. This speaks that he knows exactly what's going on. It's not that he's far and away and he has authority, but he's, he doesn't know or he doesn't care. It's he knows exactly what's going on. And the Bible says that a lot of different ways. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows every cell in your body, what's happening, every thought in your head, the amount in your bank account, and every account you have. He knows what's going on at work. He knows what happens in your home when the doors are closed. He knows what happens in, in the whispers of the ear. He knows everything there is to know. And that gives us peace when we put faith in God because we know that He's in His position in heaven. He has absolute authority and he knows everything that's going on that's right that's right and then we see number four you say well what's what's god gonna do with all that maybe maybe god's gonna do the wrong thing maybe god doesn't care oh the rest of the psalm deals with that look at verse number five the lord trieth the righteous the lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. You know, God is good. Amen. You believe that? God is good. He tries the righteous, he's going to judge the wicked. 
but God always does the right thing. The Bible says just, it says his ways are perfect, just and right is he. God's in his position. He has all authority. He knows exactly what's going on. And he always does the right thing. He's starting to breathe a little easier. He always does the right thing. And we see verse 6. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares. Those are traps. Fire and brimstone and horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Number six is you can trust the Lord's judgment. Amen. Oftentimes it looks like the wicked are getting away with it, doesn't it? I've dealt with a lot of people's hurts and pains over the years, and especially when they are abused terribly or betrayed in such terrible ways, and the person who did that has, has had no repercussions at all. And I've had them cry out, it's, it's not fair, they, they need to pay, especially what happens if they die. And now there's no possible way they could ever pay. It's not fair, and people get bitter. And I have to remind people, nobody ever gets away with anything. Nobody ever gets away with anything. My preacher used to say, it all comes out in a wash. What does that mean? I don't know. But I knew what it meant. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I guess this wicked person's clothes were dirty, and it was all going to come out in a wash. I don't, I don't. It's one of those country sayings. It'll all come out in a wash. What does that mean? It's all going to be made right. God's got it all figured out. Nobody's getting away with anything. You're going to be rewarded for your good deeds in the name of Christ and every wicked deed will be punished. How do you know that? Look at the cross. The reason the cross had to happen is because God will punish every sin. And so in order for us to go to heaven, he had to make a way for our sins to be forgiven through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what do we do when we get fearful? We trust the Lord's position. We trust his authority. We trust his vision. We trust his goodness. We trust his judgment. And I love this last one. Look at verse 7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. His countenance speaks of he's watching. He turns his face toward the upright. You have his attention. Why? Because he loves you. Amen. And the last one, number six, is trust the Lord's love. Trust the Lord's love. I wish I could somehow put into words tonight how much God loves you. I mean, if we ever just really understood for just a moment the all-encompassing love of God. We'd never be afraid again. 1 John says, perfect love casteth out fear. And as I said before, while fear is the direct opposite of faith, 
love is the trump card that erases fear at all. I've joked about this before, but I often think about it. Do you know my wife could kill me in my sleep? Oh, before you think that's funny, your wife could kill you. Your husband could kill you. Why doesn't she? I guess she loves me. Watch this. I don't worry about her killing me. Why? Because she loves me. I know she loves me. I don't worry about my kids sleeping in my room and stabbing me in my sleep. You say that's morbid. It's happened. And sadly, I know people that don't feel safe or haven't felt safe in their own homes before. And that's a scary thing. But isn't it good to never have to even think those thoughts because love doesn't even allow room for the possibility? Perfect love casteth out fear. And when we are convinced and immersed in the love of God, there's a lot of fears that other people have that just don't even enter your mind and your heart. Because you know, ultimately, God's got you. God's got you. And if it's my time to go, nothing I can do to stop it. And can I tell you, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing him anyway. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't want to take the next train, but I'm, I'm ready uh-huh. when the right. Lord calls. Right. Amen. So do you see how next time, I want you to bookmark this. I want you to meditate on these scriptures. Seven little verses. And by the way, there's a lot more good truth in this scripture. But seven little verses that the next time you start to be fearful, go here and say, I'm going to put my trust in God. That's right. I don't need to run. I don't need to hide. Why? Because I trust the Lord's position, the Lord's authority, the Lord's vision, the Lord's goodness, the Lord's judgment, and the Lord's love. Everything's going to be okay. Isn't that a blessing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder. We live in a scary world with a lot of scary things. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in fear. The only thing we should fear is you, and that's the fear of the Lord. That's a different kind of fear than what we're talking about tonight. But Lord, help us to choose trusting you. In the Lord put I my trust. I trust the Lord, and here's why. Lord, as the world gets more crazy, we pray for revival. We know that you want it more than we do.